0: episode 31 hey love podcast
1: i came face to face with the fact that i could not do this thing i couldn't do the christian life i couldn't do mom i couldn't do wife i couldn't do any of this stuff on my own and it was a hard place to be i didn't like it welcome to hey love
0: engaging the introverted woman in soul care spirituality and social spaces Here, it's all about relationships. Hey, love. I'm especially excited today on this beautiful spring day because my little team and I have officially started putting together wedding plans for my vow renewal ceremony. Blair and I are going to be coming up on our 25th anniversary this summer. So this week, we nailed down the location. It's going to be held at our friend's house up in the hills where you can see for miles and miles all over the county. I think you can pretty much see into Georgia. There's also a pool so we'll be getting baptized. Our marriage small group will be joining us. It's just going to be an intimate little gathering and I cannot wait. And it's going to be late in the evening, so probably just we'll probably just have dessert and wine. Super simple, which I love. I got the musicians booked. I'm going to ask Blair to put together a mixtape. I bet you haven't heard that term in a while, unless you watch Office reruns like we do. A mixtape of all my favorite love songs from the 70s to play after the ceremony, and I'm going to wear a traditional Indian dress. Still haven't decided yet whether it's going to be a sari or a salwar kameez. Still trying to nail down some details. And I'll be posting some pictures on Instagram, so you're going to feel like you're right there with us as we're planning every step of the way. Looking back, I mean, the first wedding we did back in 1992, I, if I could do that all over, I would spend a whole lot less on the actual wedding ceremony itself and invest a whole lot more into the future of our marriage together. Like, I wish that I would have known that it's not really necessary to spend all that kind of money on a wedding dress or cakes or have some big grand reception. It's all about the relationships, just like everything else. I wish I would have focused more on the people who were there instead of how everything looked or the fact that the caterer put mushrooms on the chicken when I'd asked for bamboo shoots. I really don't like mushrooms. But I was so busy trying to control every little detail and make it all so perfect that I missed a lot of my own wedding day. This time around, 25 years later, It's so different. Now I know that when you hold on with a loose grip, you can laugh a lot easier when things don't work out quite the way you planned. I'll tell you more about some of the mishaps at our wedding and our honeymoon in another episode. Today, though, we're going to talk about marriage and a whole lot of other stuff with Barbara Rainey. She has a really unique way of seeing marriage as a form of art. She really has a fresh perspective on all this. If you're single, even, you're going to want to hear what Miss B, as we sometimes call her, has to say. Miss B has penned more than 30 books, and now she writes on her blog, Ever Thine Home. And if you haven't visited that site yet, go pull it up right now. It's a guide on how to live your faith out beautifully. I had the pleasure of proofreading a copy of her latest book, Letters to My Daughters, and the subtitle is The Art of Being a Wife. I'm learning from Ms. B that submission, when it's done the right way, has its own great rewards. She will tell us how a question from her now daughter-in-law motivated her to write this book. She also shares some personal fails as a recovering perfectionist martyr, and a wife who's had a hard time herself with the S-word, which stands for submission. We're going to talk about the origin of the struggle with the S-word from back in the garden. You're going to love this interview. I am so thankful this woman's a thought leader in my time, and I'm so happy to call her a friend. Here's Mrs. Barbara Rainey. Can you describe your favorite room in your house? Tell me how you spend your time there.
1: My present house yes. that I live in today? Yes. Um, I think at this season of my life, which is the empty nest season, my favorite room in the house now is our living room. And partly because we remodeled about seven years ago, and we now have this whole bank of windows on the back side of our house that didn't used to be there. Ah, oh, nice. And we live out in the woods. So I love to sit there in the mornings especially. It's where I do some of my Bible study. I like it so much because it's warm and it's comfortable, but I can look out those windows at all the trees. And I love the trees even in the winter when they're bare. Mm. It's beautiful to look at the interweaving of all the branches and all the negative spaces between the branches. So I would have to say that's probably my favorite place in our house. Negative space. That's something I would never have thought of. I guess that's from your photography background or your art. It's actually from art. Art. Because I learned when I was taking art lessons that you don't just paint the object that you see. So, for instance, you've got a chair sitting right over there at your your, um, island. Yes. And you don't just paint the chair itself, but you have to pay attention to the spaces between those slats in the back of the chair. So the bottom (laughs) slat is all white because you can see the island through it, but the top slat has got the granite, it's got my purse showing through it, and you have to paint all of That's negative space. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That is fascinating. I know. So when I look at the trees in our backyard in the winter, I don't just see the branches, but I see the incredible intricacy of all those negative spaces between the branches
0: and all the different shapes
1: they make. Love that. Okay, that's going to easily bring me
0: to my next question. I'm jumping way ahead, but I've got to bring up your book. Letters to My Daughters. It has meant so much to me. And first of Thank all, I you. want to tell you, even before I read, you had a voice in my heart because you won me over shortly after we met. Um, I don't even know if you remember this, but I texted, we were texting about something, and I happened to mention that my husband was driving across the country, and he was in a blizzard, and I asked you to say a prayer for him. And you texted me back and said, yes, I'll pray for him, and please let me know when he's home safe. You wanted an update, and that meant the world to me because it, it just felt like you really cared. And I knew you would pray, but that you wanted to know when you got home mm-hmm. safely, and that meant remember. so much. So you are well, the good. real deal. So now when I read these letters that you've written for women like me, it takes a special space in my heart and mind. So tell me more about the art of being a wife.
1: Well, the reason we call well, where should I start? Now that you know how to cut and paste, <laughs> okay. I can do this all I want. <laughs> <Edit>. <laughs> well, the book actually started because my both of my sons got married the same summer, in the summer of two thousand and one. And at the first son's wedding, my daughter in law to be, engaged to my other son, asked me if I would give her some tips on being a wife. And I thought, oh my gosh, what an <laughs> honor. I didn't know how I would do it. I didn't know what I would say. Mm. And I barely knew this young woman. I'd probably only been in her presence maybe five times. Mm. Because they met and dated in another state. And had only we had only been around them a few times. Mm. So I was so honored and humbled and amazed that she would ask me, who she hardly knew, to share anything with her. So... I I decided on the spot that I was absolutely going to share some things with her Mm -hmm. because I thought the door may not be open for very long, may not be open ever again. I just thought, I've got to walk through this. God has opened this door, and I want to take advantage of it. And because they married and continued to live in this other state, like two or three states away, I knew I wasn't going to see her very often. So I didn't think going out for coffee and just talking was probably ever going to be an option. Right. And so I decided I would send an email. And so because she was already, both of my sons were married, so I had two daughters-in-law and our oldest, Ashley, had been married at that time four years. So I included all three girls in this series of emails that I wrote. And you called
0: it round robin. Round robin letters.
1: Yeah. And that came from my mom because years ago when I was a child, she would get these letters from friends back home, and they would exchange letters and send the letters sort of in a circular group. Mm. And then they would all read each other's letters. And so I kind of patterned it after that, wrote these emails, and they were very much, here are some lessons that I learned. Um, This may not be something that you have to learn in your marriage, but these are some lessons that I learned that I think are probably common to most of us as women. And I Mm -hmm. wanted them to I wanted the letters to be very personal and very warm. I I refused to, didn't even really consider teaching or giving them five things to do. I, I didn't want to be their instructor. I, I love wanted,
0: it. And I love that there are so many stories of you and Mr. D mm-hmm. and your experience.
1: And that's intentional. Mm-hmm. It's not because I want to talk about us as much as I want to say, here's how it happened for me. Yep. Here's the lesson that I learned, mm-hmm. and maybe it will encourage you. Maybe there will be something in my in my life that I did. I may have done it right, or I may have done it wrong, because I tell plenty of things I did wrong mm-hmm. that might yeah, you help you or encourage you. And have you found that the more
0: personal it is, the more specific, the more universal it is?
1: Well, I hope so. I, I really, really do. do. I really do, because I think we've had so many books over the last two decades, or maybe longer, that are very instructional, yeah, and um, with lots of here are the things to do, mm-hmm. uh, real strong, heavy teaching, and I'm not against that at all. I right. read lots of those books, but I just felt like that we needed a marriage book that was woman to woman, so it's that we so real. felt like we were sitting down and having coffee and just sharing with one another, no matter what age or what season in life we are. Because I think we as women like that. We need that. We want that community. We want a friend who can say, yeah, I've been there too. And
0: I know exactly
1: how you feel.
0: And I get the feeling all through the book. I mean, first of
1: all, I hear your voice in my head
0: as I'm reading it. And I feel like we're sitting at my couch having a cup of chai together like we're doing right now while while I'm reading it.
1: Well, that's what I'd hoped for. Yeah. Because I didn't want it to be I didn't want it to be heavy. I didn't want it to be instructional. I didn't want anyone to walk away feeling guilty that there were ten things they weren't doing.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head. Because
1: I used to feel that way. I'd read books Mm -hmm. because I knew I needed help, but I would walk away thinking, oh my gosh.
0: More to do. I've
1: got so much that I'm not doing right. Yes. And I was real quick to beat up on myself, and not everyone is like that. So I, I tended to do that maybe more than the average reader, but I didn't want my book to do that for anybody.
0: I'm so glad you had that in mind because I did, I have not felt like a failure reading this book. I have felt really inspired and Good. compelled in love to love. And it's it's been so encouraging to me. I especially loved the um, illustration you use in your book about marriage being like a dance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: First of all, I love dancing. Love Sounds dancing like too. you do, too. Yeah, I do, too. And I love the way you describe um the male part leading and how when we submit, there's the S word, to his mm-hmm. leadership, mm-hmm. we really tend to be the shining star I know. of the dance.
1: Isn't that amazing?
0: I never thought of it like that, but you're right, because when I watch these dance shows on TV, they're always putting the spotlight on the female.
1: Right. She has the prettiest costume, costume every time.
0: She does the twirl. She's always the one featured and held up high. That, you know, in light of all you discussed about the name helper and mm-hmm. how that's a name, it's not a role or how did you not put it? Job. It's yeah. not a job.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That was so freeing to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you gotten much response about that? Um I don't know that I've gotten a lot specifically. I have had people tell me that they love the dancing analogy, though. Yeah. Particularly. Because so I great. think it really makes sense. Yes. Um, because I think as women, we want that. We want to be the, the star of the duo. Not because we want to be more <laughs> famous. or Right. But I think we were made for beauty. We were made to yeah. be lifted up and to be... Um, admired by our husbands for our beauty i think god built that into us and and yet so often we get confused and we think that we have to help him Mm -hmm. in the wrong way Mm -hmm. we need to help him lead or help him do his job even co-lead with him oh yeah and it's oh it trips everybody up yeah it does and that was why taking dancing lessons which i talk about in the book yes was so helpful to me i i I thought when our kids gave us dancing lessons, this was just going to be pure fun. Never dreamed there would be any analogies to marriage. But I remember driving home from those dancing lessons and thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder if I'm not following him in all kinds of areas. And this was not that many years ago. It's not like we did this in our first two years of marriage. Yeah, We'd been married, gosh, I don't know how many years at the time.
0: I love that you were willing, though, to look at that and see... Uh, You were asking the question, am I following as much at home as I am not following in dance? It was so
1: obvious to me, Carthy. It was so obvious because we had this one lesson (laughs) where we were instructed, all the females were instructed to um, put our hands in the... Because the man makes what's called a frame, and I don't think I put that in the book, Hmm. but the way he puts his arms to hold... Um, his partner's hand and put his other hand, I think, on her back has to be firm. Mm. It has to be strong. It has to be in place.
0: I like it. And
1: if you think about it, if you can imagine this in your mind, uh, a man and a woman dancing together, if his arms are falling to the ground or Mm -hmm. flopping around, his arms are to guide her. Yes. And so this one lesson we had to get in our frame, get on our position, and then we were told. All the women were told. Now I want you to follow with your eyes closed, <laughs> and that just was so counterintuitive. Wow. Um, but of course, we all followed the instruction. We closed our eyes, and the goal of that was to follow by feeling hmm. his movements in his hand and in his arm.
0: You had to and that's totally pressed him.
1: Yeah, and so that was the purpose. The entire goal of that lesson was, are you trusting Mm. him to lead you in the dance? And it was so instructive. That's amazing. I was amazed. And so it was so obvious to me to say, okay, how am I not doing this Mm. outside of this dance class? So it was was a great lesson. And every lesson had some little nuance like that, that I walked away thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not following or I'm not responding. <laughs> I'm not trusting. What all is of, it all that... All of those are a part of dancing and marriage.
0: I mean, I feel like that's a universal thing. Every woman I, I know mm-hmm. struggles with, well, I can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that I can do it better or I can do it quicker.
1: Mm-hmm. It's easier
0: for me to just go ahead and jump Correct.
1: in. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to the, to the garden. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's universal. Because Eve did that with Adam. Mm. And we all, ever since then, have felt like we could do it better, faster. And I think our, our weakness is always going to be to want to take over. Or if not take over, we say to ourselves, I'm not taking over. I'm just helping. Yeah. Well, are you helping in the way he needs you to help? Or are you helping because you don't think you can do it? <laughs> There's a big difference in those two. Right. Right.
0: And do you think, like when I think back to Genesis 3, what you're talking about, um, the wording even, you know, your desire will be for your husband. Mm -hmm. I used to get really tripped up on that. But now hearing you describe how upside down everything turned in that moment, Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like that really is the origin of this. I
1: think it is. Because there's something in me
0: that wants to take over, Mm -hmm. wants to run over him. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was an Advent calendar, maybe, that you all put out. It might have been one of the first Everline products. Mm -hmm. And, um, no, it was Easter. So it was for Lent. And we had these readings. And there was just one little sentence that you had in the instruction booklet about let your husband read it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that was so simple. But for the whole program, the next, I think, eight weeks after that, I Mm -hmm. let him lead, and my kids were riveted. And every time I had tried to lead in the devotions, they're on their phones. I mean, we don't really allow phones at the table, but they're totally distracted, talking over me. We're not paying the least bit of attention. But when Daddy was doing it, Everyone was leaning in. Everyone was silent. I thought, what in the world? I think they were just so pleasantly surprised. Yeah.
1: And he did Well, you brought me it. an email about that. It was one of my favorite emails. I printed <laughs> it, copy, and kept it. Because Aww. I thought, that's the way it should be. And, I, and you're so right. Cool. I mean, I've struggled with that, too. Because yeah. I think, is he going to do it? Is he yeah. going to do it? Well, I guess not. So I guess I better. Right. And I just... Made myself
0: get comfortable with the long silent Mm -hmm. pauses, and I just said, "Just shut up," and he jumped in. And man, he rose to the occasion, and now he leads so beautifully.
1: Oh, good for you!
0: And I am the window of time between my shutting my mouth and you know letting him lead. It's it's a lot shorter now, Mm -hmm. so I'm really thankful. So I'm more patient now than I used to be.
1: Well, and what you just illustrated is what we were talking about, about dancing, too. Mm -hmm. Because if I let Dennis lead, he did much better than if I was trying to help him lead when Mm -hmm. we were taking dancing lessons. Or if I was saying, no, that's not what she said, or, no, that's not how you're (laughs) supposed to do it,
0: (laughs) which I did for the first
1: couple classes because I thought I was a better dancer. (laughs) And so I just assumed that he was going to need my help. Well, when I... When I shut my mouth and let him pay attention to the instructor. Yeah. Instead of having to listen to me he did so much better. It That's was like great. oh my gosh, what a what a perfect picture of marriage.
0: Such a good lesson in that. Mm-hmm. Miss B, what do you hope a friend might say at your funeral? Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> this
0: question what always a question. brings a
1: laugh. Okay, so um, I think I'm I'm praying that Jesus <laughs> will come back and there won't be a funeral. <laughs> Well, that's an answer. Is that an answer? That's good. Absolutely acceptable. Well, I mean, I can actually answer your question, but I am hoping that he comes back. <laughs> Me so, too. we don't we don't have to do that.
0: Well, what do you hope that a friend might say? Whether like even a, if it wasn't your funeral, what, yeah, what do you hope I a friend might say? I think if it say? was
1: a friend or one of my kids or whoever, I just I want people to say and recognize that I really walked with God and I wanted to please Him because, to me, honestly, that's the most important thing about me, and it's the most important, it's the greatest desire of my heart. I really do want, and increasingly, the older I get, the more I want to please Him and um, live my life in such a way that God says to me, Well done. Mm. And so I hope that people will recognize that, too. And I don't, I don't do it right a lot. But it is interesting. The lo- having, having been a Christian now for, I don't know, how many years? long time. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> but a really long time. We've been married 43 years, so it, wow. I, it would be over 45 years for sure. Maybe I'm pushing 50 years as a Christian. Can wow. I ask your age? Yes, I'm 66. Really? Which is really scary to say.
0: You look great, Miss B. Well, thank you. But anyway. You really
1: do. So I became a so I if you want since you've got a pen, you could do the math. I became a believer when I was eighteen. Oh, okay. So there you go. <laughs> you were
0: you've been a Christian now forty eight years. Forty
1: eight years. Okay. So it is going on fifty.
0: That's amazing. But it
1: is interesting that the longer I am a Christian, the more I understand what it's all about. Which is, I'm quite sure that's true for every one of us. Mm. And the more I see what God's real values are and what really matters to Him and what really matters for eternity, Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a lot of years wanting wanting to please God in name only one but instead i really wanted to do whatever else mm. and i'm just at a place in my life where those other things don't matter anymore mm. but pleasing him really does matter what is your favorite bible study of all time do you have a favorite i do my favorite bible study of all time is preset bible studies <gasps> was there one particular and, book yes i love hebrews Really? I love Hebrews. Although I have to Hebrews. say, I absolutely love the study of the book of John, too. I, I can't mm. say that I... And, you know, they really have all been good, um, honestly. I just really, really love getting in God's Word and studying it. And Precept has been the best Bible study for me. And there are a lot mm. of people that don't like it or are afraid of it because they hear it's so much work. Mm. And it is work, but I think... It's worthy work if you want to get to know God. That's my favorite.
0: I just got intimidated by all the different colored pencils. But I know, and a lot of people do. That, that probably drew you in.
1: Well, that did draw me in, and that was interesting to me because I do like all of that, but I don't even use the colored pencils much anymore. Really? I, I use a pencil pencil. Mm-hmm. I've got a mechanical pencil. That's my new favorite thing. Mm. And I do, sometimes I do double lines, and sometimes I box things, And but I like writing in pencil in my Bible because if I decide I've written something I don't like, I can erase it. Mm-hmm. And the color, too much color is, is distracting to Overwhelming.
0: me. Overwhelming, yeah. And I, I don't me want too. all
1: that. So I don't use the colored pencils and all of that much anymore.
0: Was there one particular theme
1: in Hebrews that really spoke to your heart? You know, it was the first time I think I really understood as much as I could humanly what the sacrifice of Christ meant. Because there's a lot in Hebrews about how He, the phrase that stood out to me so much was once for all. Mm -hmm. And it talks in Hebrews about how the priests in the Old Testament days would constantly go and make sacrifices year after year after year. And it says that in Hebrews, year after year. And it says they were never able to make a perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So for hundreds and thousands of years, the priests would go into the temple, they would make the sacrifices, and they would come out, and they would have to do it again and again. And then they died. Yeah. And then the next priest came along. And for decades, he would make sacrifices, and he would die. And then the next guy comes along. And so Jesus came. And he lived a perfect life. He made one sacrifice of his own life, and yep. it was done once for all. And there was something about that that really was new information to me. <clears throat> but the it phrase, was once for all, was really powerful to me. Beautiful. And now we don't need sacrifices anymore. I know. Isn't that awesome? And it's just remarkable to me. Mm. And the, the longer I go and think about that, I'm just amazed... More and more that he was willing to do that, mm. and the idea that Jesus never—what what does it say in the Book of John? Let me think real quick. Um, that there's also a verse in the Book of John where Jesus said, "He said this to his disciples: I do nothing on my own initiative." Mm-hmm. And when that, when I kind of noticed that one day, I went, "Oh my gosh, mm. nothing, mm. nothing. How many times do I speak without thinking?" <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so this applies to marriage too. How many times do mm. I say something to my husband without thinking? Yeah, Jesus said nothing, thought nothing, did nothing without listening to the Father mm. first. And it just is stunning to me that he was that he would live his life like that, which is why he was the perfect sacrifice because he never messed up once. Wow, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Perfect sacrifice. Yeah.
0: What do you wish you could tell the 20-year-old version
1: of yourself about relationships? Oh, the 20-year-old version of myself needed a whole lot of help. <laughs> oh, I needed so much help. I, I think the first thing that I would tell myself was that relationships take a lot of work. I think I vastly underestimated how much work um, really any relationship would take, marriage, raising kids, even good friendships. Um, so I think the first thing would be how much work it takes. And then I think, secondly, I think I would have told my 20-year-old self, it's okay to mess up. You're not going to do it perfectly. You will make mistakes, and that's why we have forgiveness. Because I was a firstborn, still am, and I, I was very much a perfectionist. And mm-hmm. so I I felt this sense of responsibility that I had to do it right, and I had to do it right all the time. And that was a real heavy burden to carry, mm. and it took me a long time to learn that I didn't have to do it right all the time. Mm. I mean, that should still meet my goal, but I, in my own power, I'll never do it right. I need to be listening to the Father like Jesus did, and then maybe I've got some <laughs> some possibility oh. of doing some things right if I'm obeying Him and listening to Him. But my 20 year old self really, really, really didn't understand that at all. And um, it would have been good if I could have understood that uh, how broken I was and how fallible and how, um, how much I even needed a savior. I was a believer, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't appreciate how much I needed a savior. Mm. Yeah. Ms. B., tell me about your relationship with yourself. What do you do for soul care? Well, it took me a long time to learn even about the concept of soul care. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a new, I think it's a new focus for women, and men too, for that matter. And I think it's so healthy, and I'm so glad that we're, um, as a community of believers, we're understanding that, that we need to do that, because I didn't for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, I was too often a martyr for my kids, Mm. didn't understand the um, just the need to, to balance and to feed myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So now that I'm older, (laughs) and a little wiser, um, what I do for soul care is I have learned that I have to create Mm -hmm. something um, that that being creative is what feeds my soul. So it can be gardening, it can be fixing up something in the house, it doesn't have to be painting or art because I don't do that very much anymore I'm too busy with other things I'm Mm -hmm. hoping that will come back in my life soon but Mm. um but I have found that even even going outside and creating a little spot of beauty in my yard Mm. just does something for me and and it took me a long time to recognize that that was valuable
0: absolutely and
1: um I'm glad I finally understand it, but it took me a long time to understand that. That would be something else I would tell my 20-year-old 20, 20 self. Yeah, you know, To value the way God made me and to mm-hmm. think of it as... A, I mean, I knew it was a gift at some level, but I didn't see how important it was. Mm. Can you loop back
0: around and tell me, what did it look like when you say you were a martyr?
1: Um, when I say I was a martyr, I think I mistakenly felt... More responsibility to do everything for my children. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I wanted to. I wanted to be. I wanted to be important in their lives. But I think I crossed the line too often in wanting to be more important than I needed to be. I think I was looking for m- fulfillment mm-hmm. in being the most important person in their lives. Mm. And so, I would sometimes push myself and do more than I should have done, and then I'd be exhausted, and I'd end up getting angry at my kids because I was burned out, or I was <sighs> worn out, or um, had nothing left. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand. I tried to be balanced, but I didn't always do a good job of living a balanced life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think as moms, we we really are, you know, I just think of, of times when I wanted to do everything i could to save my kids and i don't mm-hmm. mean save them in a spiritual sense but there were situations in their lives from time to time when they needed rescuing and i mm-hmm. wanted to rescue them
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i think i may have gotten in the way of god being the one that they turned to does that make sense wow. yeah um and maybe not because they're all honestly right now they're they're all doing pretty well mm. so i didn't get in the way permanently but i i think that i um I just misunderstood some things as a mom. I, mm-hmm. I mis didn't have my values. I, I weighed some things more as more important than they might have been, and I, I think it takes a while to to learn all of that. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Thank you for your honesty. When did you first know, Miss B, that <coughs> you were in need of grace yourself, even though you were good?
1: Yeah. I, Um,
0: Or you thought you were good?
1: I think I first began to understand that I was in need of grace myself in my children's teenage years. I knew in my head from the day I became a Christian that I needed Christ because I understood the equation. I understood the formula. I understood the facts that I was um, a sinner because the Bible said so. I understood that I needed Christ because the Bible said so. I knew I wanted to go to heaven, and I knew the only way to get there was to receive Christ. So all of that made sense. But what didn't make sense was that I was wicked. Mm. That didn't make sense. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought, really? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I, I didn't even, not only did I think it wasn't true, but I didn't want it to be true.
0: Yeah,
1: right. So I think I didn't really begin to understand the need for grace. I didn't understand... My I didn't feel my personal need for a Savior mm-hmm. um, until my kids were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Because I managed to kind of keep it together. And I had moments, of course. But it really made sense to me when my kids were teenagers. Because that's when um, I just was worn down by mm-hmm. then. Um, all the pushbacks. And I had one child in particular that started pushing back when he was five. <laughs> And he started so early. Yeah, he started pushing back on me when he was five. And by the time he got to be 13, 14, 15, I was exhausted. I was just completely worn out. Because he was smarter than me. And he could always out talk me. And I knew I was supposed to win. Oh,
0: my goodness. And
1: so I was so frustrated. And of course, Dennis and I had lots and lots of conversations. But I think when I when my kids... And I had four teenagers at once for a long time because we uh, have six all together. No wonder you were worn out. And I was so worn out and I was so aware of... Finally, I was so aware of my inability to be what I needed to be as a mom, what I needed to be as a wife. Mm. And I, I, I came face to face with the fact that I could not do this thing. I couldn't mm. do the Christian life. I couldn't do mom. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do wife. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do any of this stuff on mm-hmm. my own. And it was a hard place to be. I didn't like it. But ultimately, it was a really good place to be. And I'm really grateful that God let me get to that place because I understand so much better that Mm. I absolutely am depraved and I'm wicked and I have to have a Savior. Mm. And I don't think that that was real to me until my kids were teenagers. And I found out how bankrupt I really was and how little I had to give them. And how much I couldn't control things on my own. Mm. And that was when I finally understood at a real deep level that I had to have Jesus. Yeah,
0: you couldn't do it on your mm-hmm. own.
1: And I'd had him for 20 years by then. So I, I never, never doubted my faith in Christ. I always believed that that he promised he would redeem me and that he would come into my life and never leave. So I never, ever had issues with doubting that I would go to heaven someday. Mm -hmm. But I did have issues with understanding my need for a Savior personally. So I'm grateful that God allowed me to come to that place of understanding how bankrupt I was.
0: We say all the time here on Hey Love that relationships are like kryptonite to a woman's soul. And I would add to that, nothing can make us realize how bankrupt we are, quite like parenting does. So hearing Barbara Rainey confess her inadequacy as a parent made me feel a whole lot less alone in mine. When I step back and kind of evaluate the job I've been doing as a parent, which can be, a you know, kind of a dangerous business, I feel pretty much like a big fail. My kids, I mean, they're great, but I do feel like that's an area I can see my shortcomings in big, bold, red letters. (laughs) You know, all caps. I just have this ache this sense, you know, like I have not done all that needs to be done here. Like I'm missing something. Sometimes I wonder how much better off my kids would be just as fellow citizens of the planet if they had a different mom. I need to listen to Terry Coley's episode again to meditate on those passages again from Ephesians and preach the gospel to myself again. I know I've been called to be their mom, appointed and anointed. But sometimes I just don't feel it, you know? I feel like I'm letting them down. But you know, as I was listening back to this interview, at the end, Ms. Barber sounds almost thankful. Like she's realized that it's actually a gift to know your need, to be reminded of your lack, to be pointed back to the one and only Jesus who can fill in all your gaps, We can hold on to him and trust him to write the story of our kids' lives. He's the author and perfecter, not us. We're not the ones in control. Phew. Didn't mean to bring the room down there. Just trying to keep it real, you know. As to how Ms. B. came to be a believer, this is one of those after-the-fact stories that sometimes happens. You know, when a guest starts talking off the cuff, but I've already unclipped the mic Everything's already been unplugged, and the recorder's already been turned off. Sometimes they just open up and start giving me all this gold. So she shared a story with me, and I can't not relay it to you. So after we were done with the interview, Ms. B started reminiscing about her college days and how a girl in her dorm invited her to a Bible study So she shows up and first thing, they go around the circle and talk about how long they've been a Christian, what drew them to Jesus, you know, all that kind of stuff. And Miss B realized she didn't have the first clue what these people were talking about. (laughs) But luckily, she was the last one in the circle to talk. So she had some time to pull pieces of everybody else's story and make one up for herself. Isn't that hilarious? Don't you love it? I mean, I've never done that, acted like I knew what I was talking about in a group setting. (laughs) I laughed so hard picturing it because she does not seem the type to ever fabricate something like this, but, you know, this was before she had the Holy Spirit in her, so there was no conviction about making stuff up to go along with the crowd, but she realized after that meeting that she really didn't know what Jesus was about. So she went back to her dorm room and prayed. So making up that story in the circle time, that experience really opened a door in her heart and I guess awakened a a hunger in her spirit. So she prayed and God used that and uh, made himself known to her. I remember a similar experience where the regional leader of our crew group, uh, which was then called Campus Crusade for Christ, asked me if I had the assurance of heaven And I'm thinking to myself, assurance of heaven, what does that even mean? I had no clue. But I looked him straight in the eye and I said, yes, absolutely I do. I had no idea that was even possible, you know, that you could actually know whether you're going to heaven or hell. I thought it was sort of like a crapshoot, basically. I thought it was like, you do the best you can during your time on earth. I mean, you know, acted as good as you possibly could. And then maybe if God was, you know, in a good mood, he would let you pass the pearly gates. But in that moment, when I'm sitting there talking to this leader of crew, um, the approval addict in my head was really loud during that season of my life. And I sort of moved from being a people pleaser to wanting to please God Or um, earn his approval, but was still I was pretty much still desperate to make sure everybody else liked me, too, the humans. So I was really good at reading people's faces. And I could tell by the way he framed his question that he was setting me up to answer a certain way. And I knew that yes was the right answer to most questions. So I lied right through my teeth. But the same thing happened to me. Just like Miss B went home and prayed, I did the same thing, too. God, is it really possible for a girl to know where she's going to end up? And I reached out to a friend of mine, Tammy Orr, because I didn't hear an answer right away (laughs) when I prayed. So I asked her the same question. Tammy and I were in the same sorority, and I totally trusted her. She's the one who introduced me to Crew. We're still friends to this day, 30 years later. But when we were in college, Tammy told me that once you become a believer, you know, you put your faith in Jesus Christ— you immediately get a guarantee. So she showed me in the scriptures where the Holy Spirit is like a deposit. And the moment at which you say yes to Jesus' invitation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. So now you become the temple of God. Have you read this? It's found in 2 Corinthians one twenty-two. Here's the amplified version. It is He who has also put His seal on us. That is, He has appropriated us and certified us as His own and has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, like a security deposit, to guarantee the fulfillment of His promise of eternal life. And I also love the promise, the way it's worded in Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and as a result believed in him, you were stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, the one promised by Christ, as owned and protected by God. Isn't that beautiful news? You can rest assured if you've said yes to Jesus, your name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen to that. Well, this has been a blast. I've really enjoyed today. Next week, Ms. B is going to talk about Easter and share another redemption story with us. And it's going to put wind in your sails, especially if you've ever had a wayward child or sibling, or if you've ever played the part of prodigal yourself. That's going to be episode 32 on Hey Love. Here's a teaser for you.
1: I remember sitting home and just being painfully aware Mm. that we were in a place that nobody else was in, and Mm. we didn't know what to do with it. We couldn't fix it.
0: Miss B is First Lady of Family Life, and on their website, familylife.com, you're going to find a plethora of resources on relationships, marriage and parenting especially. Also, be sure to check out Miss Barber's Thine Home site, which is full of inspiring ways to decorate your table for Easter and your home. They have some new pieces for Easter that are just gorgeous. If you end up ordering the whole set, you get a pretty sweet discount. I'm going to link to all of these and Miss Barber's book, Letters to My Daughters, in the show notes. And here's a reminder, too, about the ETC conference, Empowered to Connect, that we talked about last week with Terry Coley. The conference is being simulcast in over 400 locations all over the planet, so find one in your area. Also, if you're anywhere near a Nashville area, register for the one that's being held live at Church of the City. I got to confess something to you. Every time I see the name of that church, I always crack up because I hear it a certain way in my head every time. When they first came to Nashville, Pastor Darren from Australia, we love him. But when they first started their church, they were growing so fast and doing so much in the community that we lovingly nicknamed it the church that ate the city. And I mean that in the best way. They are so actively loving our little Franklin town and beyond that that's always what I hear in the back of my head every time I say, don't tell Darren that. Well, yeah, I do. He might think it's funny. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. So ETC Conference Empowered to Connect is April 7th and 8th. Go, if you can, to the national one at Church of the City or attend a simulcast. Find out about one in your area. Don't miss it. The Rainies, Barbara and Dennis, are most likely going to be at the CAFO conference in May. That stands for Christian Alliance for Orphans. Don't you love seeing how God is on the move? Or Aslan, as C.S. Lewis calls him. Aslan is on the move among his people to care for the little ones in our midst. Visit me on Instagram or Facebook, leave a review, share this episode with a friend, and tune in next week for part two of my conversation with Barbara Rainey. Just another way for you to live out love. Till next time, bye love. My thanks to the heroic, handsome, most talented rock star, keyboard player, producer, engineer extraordinaire, And my best friend, Blair Masters, for setting it all to music. And thank you for joining us. Come on back, and we'll talk more about how you can find your happy by living life more connected.
1: I grew up not far from Chicago, probably in third or fourth grade. I decided that I wanted to make a collection of four leaf clovers. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and I would go out to the park and I would sit in the grass and I would look. And I created this little book out of construction paper. I mean, I was only a kid. And I would put all the four leaf clovers in there and I actually found some that had five leaves and a couple that had really? six. I know, I was so proud of myself. <laughs>